0: The issues that matter most, right here. The Drew Mariani Show. On Relevant Radio. Be one with the cold. I, He's going to feel incredible really after. Really cold. Are you feeling like numb, like you're getting used to it, like it's not as bad it's as when you first shocking, got in? shocking, but surprisingly, the breathing really helps. And now it doesn't feel as bad. I wouldn't say it's comfortable, but it's not bad. I'm here.
1: <sighs> the Drew Mariani Show. On Relevant Radio. Take a guess what that was all about, right? <laughs> that was audio from the Shark Tank, as uh, Robert uh, Hershevak took a cold plunge into some icy, icy cold water. I'm going to discuss the rise of people taking cold plunges in ice baths, a- ice baths, I should say, ths, right? Baths uh, for health reasons. It's coming up a little later in this hour. I, I can't do it. I'm sorry. You know, my one daughter did a polar plunge. You know, she was in Green Bay in, in January. Can you believe that? Woo! That is some cold water. And Patrick uh, Alog, who's sitting in for Maggie uh, Caroza today on the board, you did Exodus 90, right? I did so you Exodus done these, 90. You did, you did these cold plunges, right?
0: No, not cold plunges. I did do the cold showers. Granted, it was at the most five minutes.
1: Well, and then when I worked in morning air, I did not do those showers at 4.30 in the morning. Did you feel took, better, though, after taking a cold shower? It felt nice. You know, yeah, like, more like a sacrifice. You know. Yeah, well, it's definitely a sacrifice. It is. <laughs> That's for sure, Katie. We'll talk about it coming up. 536% increase in inquiries about it. A lot of celebs are doing it. You know, we've talked about the benefits of fasting, gut biome. It seems that cold plunges are great for you. I know our own Dr. Sean O'Mara has talked about them as well. I'm sorry. That's kind of where I draw the line. Oof! Give me a nice warm shower. Right? <laughs> can't take, can't take the cold water. Hey, lots going on. We got a lot to get into today. The uh, there's two powerhouse saints that we celebrate today. I'll fill you in on them. Let's take a look at the world of uh, of politics a little bit later. So much is happening in this country it demands our prayers. And of course, we have more people now turning 65 in this country than ever in the history of our nation. So it's kind of a mixed bag. The Alabama Supreme Court, though, has issued a very interesting ruling. I just heard Mary Graham, our news anchor, mention this at the top of the hour. And I just want to say to you in Alabama, bravo. I wish a number of other states would uh, imitate you. You know what they did? They ruled that embryos, whether inside or outside of a woman's body, are uh, well, they're human beings. They need to be protected by law. Here are the details of what Alabama just did. This comes from ABC News. Check it out.
0: This morning, new questions about the future of fertility treatments after Alabama's Supreme Court ruled that frozen embryos are children. The decision reverses a lower court's ruling in a case brought by a couple who sued a fertility clinic for wrongful death after someone dropped their frozen embryos on the floor, destroying them. The court cited Alabama's constitution in its ruling, saying even before birth, all human beings bear the image of God and their lives cannot be destroyed without effacing his glory. It could effectively end IVF in the entire state of Alabama. With treatments like in vitro fertilization, several eggs are fertilized outside the body before being implanted into a patient's uterus.
2: There's mostly concern. um, There's worry. There's some anger. um, As patients and physicians want to be able to make these decisions together collaboratively and not have these decisions made for us and without
0: our input. Alabama State Medical Association warning the increased risk of legal exposure might result in Alabama's fertility clinics shutting down. You know what?
1: Here's the thing. Um, It's going to be a victory for life, because if you think about when does life begin? I mean, Donald Trump's come out and says he thinks abortion's okay in the case of rape or incest or life of the mother, 16 weeks. We got people in the Democratic Party who think that it's okay to abort a child up through birth. I mean, it's crazy stuff out there, right? So... This is a huge decision. Yeah, will it impact IVF? There's a lot of moral questions about IVF. We talked about it many times here on the program, especially regarding those uh, those embryos that are frozen. What happens to them? You know, what happens to those those particular children? We're talking about uh, the human lives here. In 2018, uh, voters in the Alabama state. They they voted, uh, well, they approved an amendment to their constitution. Let me just share with you part of that, that uh, I'll give you one sentence from it that kind of resonated with me. I was reading it earlier. It says this, quote, um, our constitution acknowledges that, uh, or acknowledges, declares, and affirms that it is the public policy of this state to recognize and support the sanctity of unborn life and the right of unborn children, including the right to life. And I'm thinking, what a what a contrast to other states that are now putting into their state constitution a right to kill a child, right? Two totally different things here. They recognize, they acknowledge, they declare, they affirm. These are the words that they use. The sanctity of the unborn life and the right of unborn children, including the right to life. Now, the ruling comes... As you heard in that piece, after three couples sued, uh, their embryos were destroyed when a a wandering mobile hospital patient actually dropped them, believe it or not. And, And the hospital, the fertility clinic, claimed, oh, the law doesn't apply to embryos. They're outside the womb. That doesn't matter. And so only one justice ruled against it, claiming that the ruling almost certainly ends the creation of frozen embryos through in vitro fertilization in Alabama. And let me just say, bravo. Prayers do work. Things do change. One day in this country, life will be protected from the moment of conception through natural death. Amen? Amen. This is a victory. It's part of the prayers, part of those memoraries that we are reciting. So I'm happy to, to see that. It's a little bit of a good news story. Hey, I shared with you the other day, remember that that demonic statue that was supposed to go on display at the University of Houston soon? little update on that. It's the... Uh, same strange statue that was displayed in, in New York a uh, couple years ago. You know, it's a woman's body. And you remember, it had braided hair. It was shaped like a goat's horn, and the arms were like tentacles. There's also a lace collar around its neck, and that's supposedly reminiscent of uh, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who used to wear that you know, when she sat on the bench there in the Supreme Court. Uh, and it was made to honor Ginsburg and abortion. Well, Texas' right to life is calling on the public university to cancel its plans to display it. The organization told the school they said this. They said, quote, art should reflect truth and goodness and beauty, three timeless values that reveal the nature of God. Art cannot have beauty without truth, and art cannot have truth without goodness. And I think that's really profound. If you think about those transcendentals, right? I mean, think about what they said there. It's so beautiful. I mean, we know that Truth, goodness, and beauty, they all lead us to God. You can find God through those. They said, art should reflect truth and goodness and beauty. But she says, art can't have beauty without truth. And art cannot have truth without goodness. Um, let's see how this this ultimately shakes out. Uh, but we'll see what happens. Keep praying for that. Uh, a lot going on here, too, in terms of... Um, uh, persecution around the country. We've been talking about this for a, a while as well. And my colleague, uh, Tim, I caught part of what she had to say yesterday. We're going to play a little bit of, of, of audio from her. But I um, uh, saw a report earlier today that the Dicastery for Evangelization sent a letter to the bishops of Nigeria, uh, basically expressing heartfelt solidarity with them. Um, it, it, of course, there's a terrible crisis there. Christians are being martyred, uh, Christians are being kidnapped There's a major crisis. so a lot of priests around the country uh, have been abducted and um, most of them have been released. Quite often they're they're you know they there's large sums of money that go up, but many of them have been been killed. So if you're not familiar with this, what's happening right now in Africa's most populous nation um, is a crisis of martyrdom. You know, you think of this as something ancient, the time of St. Paul, right? No. There are martyrs today in, in the church and, and throughout the world. In fact, the number of martyrs in the 20th century outnumbers all the centuries combined prior to that. And today, the blood of Catholics, the blood of Christians, continues to flow. There's an organization called um, Open Doors. I think Christian Concerns, is another one and they track this Christian persecution in the world, and they rank Nigeria as one of the worst countries for Christians to live as, as a follower of Christ. North Korea, of course, is, I th- well, how did it work? Now, I think it was, I think it was, gosh, maybe it was North Korea then Nigeria. Can you believe that North Korea, or Kim Jong-un, of course, but then you got India, Iran, you got China, you got Pakistan. Uh, those are just some of the top countries for Christian persecution, but Open Doors was said 90% the more than 5,600 Christians were killed for their faith last year were from Nigeria. And the total number of Christians killed in 2023, it's up 80% from five years ago. And you might remember, one of the most recent attacks was on Christmas Eve. 140 Nigerians were slain across 15 different villages by these, these I call them terrorists. They were rampaging herders wielding guns and machetes. And, and three weeks ago, a gunman ambushed a Christian school bus carrying more than a dozen school children that were under the age of 10. Can you imagine those families? Your babies being shot and killed? Three days after that, two, Nigeria, two of uh, Nigeria's diocesan um, members there were were kidnapped, and fortunately some of the priests were, were released a few days later, but... Um, some school children still being held who were also kidnapped last night as i said tim Murray shared her thoughts on the difficulties of actually being a catholic in nigeria you can check her out every evening she's on at 6 central right after uh, Kale clark show and right before the rosary here's some of what she had to say i thought this was interesting
2: this is interesting especially in light of the fact that maybe you heard the news over the chris over christmas in the midst of our celebrations christmas eve 2023 140 nigerians were slayed killed by gunmen muslims there in nigeria there's ongoing there are ongoing battles between muslim fulani herdsmen and christian farmers it continues to go on in fact just two weeks ago some of the latest news out of nigeria was that over a dozen kids under the age of 10 little boys and little girls along with two priests were kidnapped now, some of them were released, but here's the deal. What's fascinating, as we here in the United States safely practice our faith, even if publicly you might have some egg on your face, and we're sitting here doing research and studies, for example, at Georgetown University about how active people are in their faith and in what countries people in Nigeria who are practicing their faith are literally being killed for it, kidnapped. And yet they're the ones going to mass, not just weekly, but many of whom daily, more frequently.
1: And I found that to be a striking number. That's really what I, I resonated with me when she said it. Um, because the blood of martyrs, right? It's the seed of faith. I think their blood waters the seeds of faith. We see new, um, new followers of Christ. And Nigeria has the highest percent of Catholics going to, uh, to Mass in the world, Nigeria. You go to, to the Mass, you can get killed, right? People are being abducted and murdered, uh, yet they have people jamming the churches. 94% of Catholic Nigerians go to Mass on Sunday and during the week, 94%. And that's with a very real chance that you could be injured or killed. Did you go to Mass this Sunday? You know, a lot of people don't even go. You can't wait to get out. You're checking your cell phone throughout the mass. And they understand the value of what really happens there. I hope you'll pray for them. I really do. I hope you will pray for for all of our brothers and sisters around the world. We take our faith for granted here in the United States of America. We really do, and that's that's. I, th- I think it's unfortunate. We take take our faith for granted. Um, you know, I, I hope one day we'll never be challenged like so many of our brothers and sisters in Nicaragua and in Nigeria and in North Korea and in China and in so many other places around the world. So pray, 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 pray for them. Hey, I want to share with you um, a story I have been following and this is weird. And I don't know whether you've done this or not. There is a phenomenon that has surged in popularity and it's made a huge trend right now in health and wellness practices, notably influenced by celebrities uh, there was a, an analysis of a go- Google search data and they found that a staggering 536% increase in searches for ice baths. That's the highest in internet history. The highest. So this term for cold plunge has also seen a remarkable rise in, in interest. And of course, why? Well, we got celebrities like Courtney Cox and Chris Hemsworth and Lady Gaga and Haley Bieber. They've all share their, you know, their, their adoption of ice baths and to their routines for various health benefits. And people look at these celebrities like, oh, wow, I want to be like that. Courtney Cox, uh, you know, she was, she was on Instagram. She was posting, you know, not only these, these, uh, you know, these ice baths, but she expressed her unexpected love for them. She highlighted the, uh, the the dopamine hit that you get from it. She says, it's a lasting dopamine hit. And it gives you a follow, you know, a really positive feeling that follows. I'm sure it probably does, you know, when you get out. I remember swimming in a cold pool or a lake after a while and you get out, you know, or the ocean, right? It's really cold. You get out, you feel good when it's over. Chris Hemsworth incorporates ice baths into his morning routine and his post workout regimen. And he does it, he's supposedly for muscle recovery and growth. Lady Gaga uses them to manage chronic pain. She's got fatigue, sleep issues. Uh, I know people with fibromyalgia. Who do it? Dr. Sean O'Mara, who's a regular on this radio program, does it as part of his routine. Uh, Heli uh, Bieber shared on TikTok that those cold plunges, they've helped her with anxiety and mood improvement. So maybe you're suffering from chronic pain. Maybe you've got anxiety. Maybe your mood is you know, swinging right now. You know, maybe, maybe you need that dopamine feeling just to feel better. Um, I don't know. Try it. I I I, I can't knock until I tried. I mean, it's cold. I mean, you're talking about you know 30 degree, 39 degree, 41 degree weather. I mean temperatures in some of that water. I mean, that's that's some cold stuff. Some of those, uh, but there are a lot of advantages to these these ice baths, including um, they claim increased circulation. Uh, inflammation is a killer when it comes to your health, right? Uh, You hear many physicians on the program talking about how you should reduce your inflammation. Ice baths do that. It supposedly boosts your immune system. It enhances your muscle recovery. It gives you better sleep patterns. And uh, there was an article I was reading about this. And in a few minutes, Dr. Jeff Gardner is going to be joining me. We'll talk to him a little bit about this. He's been doing this. And that's what... Last time he was on, he had kind of mentioned to me he did it. I said, well, let's, let's talk about it because I do find it fascinating. He, uh, starting ice bath therapy, especially some f- if you are undergoing medical treatment or with specific health concerns, a lot of people are promoting this. So of course, check with your physician before you do anything, right? You want to make sure that uh, you're not doing anything that um, can compromise you in any way. But uh, you know, the proponents claim just a myriad of advantages. Uh, you know, so if you want to change the science behind the chill, they say the principle behind these things is the body's response to cold exposure. So when you get immersed in this cold water, uh, it induces what they call vasoconstriction constriction. And that's the narrowing of blood vessels. It reduces the blood flow to areas of inflammation. So, uh, once you're out of the cold, the body, then, Uh, experiences the opposite. It experiences a thing called uh, vasodilation, where the blood vessels then widen. So you got this improved circulation. You got the flushing out of metabolic waste from the muscles. Uh, There's a psychological response that not only aids in in muscle recovery, but it also stimulates the nervous system and potentially leads to just a lot of benefits. So uh, let's talk about it right now. I am joined by a, a good friend of my program, Doctor Jeff Gardner, he's going to be stopping by, and we'll uh, we'll get him on the air with us right now. We're trying to reconnect to him on a little bit of a better line, and uh, we'll get his take on it. But uh, research continues to unveil the science behind the chill, uh, the ice. Maybe you've done it. If you have, feel free to give me a call. Uh, the number is triple eight nine one four nine one four nine triple eight nine one four. Nine one four nine. I do find it interesting. One final note here, and then we'll come back and maybe hit on this: um, the influence that celebrity has. Right? You, you take a look at the names I've thrown out, and, and and how it can move mass numbers. How many people on social media, TikTok, Instagram, uh, the web? Uh, we talked about Taylor Swift the other day, you know, and, and how she can move people even to vote. Uh, people follow these these celebrities, and um, you know we'll see. My, who knows? Maybe maybe ice baths are going to be a staple of holistic health and and wellness. So we'll see. I'm putting it on your radar. You can do a quick search as well. Seems to have a lot of benefits. When I return, we'll speak to Dr. Jeff Gardner um, about the cold plunge. If you want to sound off as well, feel free to do that. Triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. Triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. We'll also talk, and I want to plug you into, two powerhouse saints that died when they were children. If you're praying for a miracle or a real change in your life, today's the day to turn to these saints. I think they will advocate for you in a powerful way. All that and more coming right up. Hey, join Father Rocky this September for a pilgrimage to Poland and Prague. You'll visit the lands of St. John Paul the Great, St. Faustina, Our Lady of Czestochowa, and the Infant Child of Prague. Seats are limited. Information at RelevantRadio.com slash Poland. That's RelevantRadio.com slash Poland.
2: Once the ceremony began and Pope Francis officially declared Jacinto and Francisco Saints, the crowd of 500,000 pilgrims unleashed an extended applause.
1: Declaramos E definimos como santos, los beatos, Francisco Marto,
2: The rite of canonization in the square of Coviti area was emotional. One of the tenderest moments came when the family of Lucas, the child who received the miracle, approached the Pope with his offerings. The little boy could not hold back his desire to embrace him.
0: The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio.
1: Yeah, that was uh, the canonization of Francisco and uh, Justo Marto. Today we celebrate their feast. Two powerhouse saints. I'll fill you in on them in just a minute. Barbara is going to be jumping by. Let me grab a quick call here before we move along, and you can get it anytime you want at triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. James, good afternoon. Thanks for calling from San Antonio. Uh
3: thirty years ago, my wife and I did missionary work in Mexico, Great. Central Mexico, way up in the high mountains with the catholic cooperative movement Mm -hmm. and because there was no other choice we had to take really cold showers i mean there was no hot water at all where we lived right and it was high up in an alpine area i mean i was blue almost my lips were blue afterwards (laughs) but when we came back to the u.s where we live now of course um i kept doing it kind of out of like habit and discipline Mm -hmm. and i still take cold showers every morning it's february here in texas the water's cold when it comes out i grit my teeth but let me verify everything you said that when i come out of that shower i feel super i feel great i'm full of energy i feel like i could run through a brick wall so Yes, I agree with the the doctor and with what, what you're saying yeah. about cold showers and cold baths.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. It's a huge craze right now, James. So you're way ahead of the curve. Uh, guests on the show have talked about it. Doctor Jeff Gardner, Doctor Sean O'Mara. Yeah, the health benefits are awesome. I'm assuming you're in good health, then.
3: Yeah, I'm uh, 73 years oh, old wow. right now. I'm uh, I'm in good shape.
1: Wow, you sound like you're Thank you, you sound name. like you're 43. That's great, James. Oh. That's awesome. Well, thanks for calling in, and thanks for what you do. I'm, I'm delighted you did that and 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 you shared with us. You can check it out. You can do your research online if you want to learn more about cold baths. We'll talk more about it with some of our other physicians up ahead. But James, thank you for for joining us. There's a science behind it. All these crazes. Like I've been into fasting lately. I, I have not made the <laughs> the jump the cold showers, but maybe I will try. Great Lenten sacrifice. All right, you want to do penance for your sins? You want to say, "Lord, I'm sorry." Here, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna do this. How about starting with a five-minute, just cold shower, man? That'd be rough, right? But we can make small sacrifices. You know, the Fatima Sears, uh, Saints uh, Francisco and Jacinta Marta, they knew that, right? This is the secret of the saints. And I I often think about it. I think, you know, know, fasting is important, but what about penance? Francisco was 11, Jacinta was 10, and they were the youngest non-martyred, uh, saints to be canonized in, in the history of the church, right? And the brother and the sister. Uh, They, along with sister, uh, along with their cousin, Lucia Santos, Lucia de Santos, um, were there in the uh, fields of Fatima, Portugal, back in 1917, when the Virgin Mary appeared to them. And this today is one of the most famous apparition sites in the world. But these kids, after they saw the fires of hell, they saw where the souls of poor sinners go. They did harsh penances. I mean, again, 10 years old. 10 years old. How old were you, right? What kind of penance have you done? Hey, have you done any reparation for the way we've offended our our, our loving and our merciful Father? i got to take the plank out of my own eye before I, I challenge anybody else. You know, I really do. And yeah, But but it's something very sobering to me this time of year during Lent. I, I've been thinking a lot about it. You know, during the very first apparition, which took place in, in May of 1917, when the Blessed Mother appeared to the three children— she asked them to do a couple things. She said, "She said, pray the rosary. Pray the rosary and make sacrifices. Why did she want sacrifices? She wanted them for the conversion of sinners. You know, today in our own day, there are reports of, of apparitions. And again, the same call to pray the rosary, to pray for the conversion of those who are, are rejecting God and making their way to hell. Uh, the kids responded, and and they prayed often. They give up their lunch to beggars. They went without food themselves. They offered up their daily crosses. They, even in the hot Portuguese sun, they, they refrained from drinking water on hot days. You know, and of course, the Spanish flu was ravaging all of Europe at that time. And of course, they ultimately would... Uh, get the Spanish flu and succumb to it, but um, they suffered in unimaginable ways. I thought today we'd take a look at the lessons we can learn from these children. And and if you are in need of a, a miracle in your life, I am such a believer in the power of prayer. I'm a, I'm a believer in the communion of saints. Those who've gone before us, ask them to intercede for you. Ask them to go before the throne of God. Ask them to advocate for your calls today, to join you in prayer. And um, I, I think... I think you'll see the fruit of it. I'm joined right now by a longtime friend of this program. It's great to have Barb Ernster uh, with me today. And uh, uh, she has served as a communication director for the World Apostle of Fatima. I think she's now the national director. Barb, it's good to have you back. Good afternoon.
4: Well, good afternoon, Drew. I'm so glad to be always willing to talk about Jacinta and Francisco. They're two of my favorite saints. Yeah, you've
1: said that to me before. I remember you once mentioning it. What is it about them that... That I, and I'm assuming you were at their beatification or their canonization, right? Did you go to that as well?
4: <laughs> no, I did not <laughs> really.
1: I am shocked no, by that. Not
4: there.
1: Yeah. I really That's am okay. because I know your I... love. I know your love of the Fatima message because they were it was not that long ago that they were raised to the altars. Well, what makes you love them so much? What why did you fall in love with these two oh. powerhouse saints?
4: Well, I, I just think that as young and innocent as they were, and how far they advanced in the spiritual life, the interior life, the life that Mary's asking is calling all of us to, that all of us can achieve, and how much they, you know, Jacinta, her total understanding of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, that grace comes from the Immaculate Heart. How does a young child understand that concept? And she, they, they grasped it because they did what Our Lady asked them to do. They prayed the rosary every day. They did offer up every day their sacrifices. They understood that without our participation in the role of Mary on Earth and what God had given to her, that we participate with her, their souls would lose, lose their, their eternal salvation. They understood that, and they took it to heart. And every, you know, the more I read about Fatima, the more I read about these children, the deeper it takes me into a pathway to holiness that we can all follow. That's what I love about these two. They were so mature spiritually and they had nobody directing them at such. They, they were directed completely by the blessed mother.
1: Where did that come from? Was it just a grace or were these kids always naturally, you know, inclined to, to holiness?
4: Well, they were not, they, they were innocent, of course, compared to what our world is like today. But I always say, you know, Francisco, he was, he was kind of a, um, he he didn't he didn't grasp things yeah. with his mind. He couldn't. He wasn't educated. He couldn't grasp things educationally. But he was an empty vessel of innocence and openness to the Lord that so that he could mold him. And I always say they they were just like a, a lump of clay in the hands of God. They let they let the Lord mold them. And no, they were they were very much like every other child. And then of course having these extraordinary occurrences in which they were being immersed in the light of God, they were seeing themselves in God, they were having these profound experiences with nobody to guide them as to what was happening to them. And the reason they kept silent, and were considered just a bunch of country bumpkins that were telling lies, is they couldn't possibly explain what was happening to them. And yet they were learning from all of this. And and they were just open to what God wanted from them next. And so yes, they were very much like any normal child but after be, seeing these, um, having these apparitions, and just answering the call that Mary asked of them, they were able to grow in such holiness.
1: So, you know, let's, let's talk about the two seers today. I mean, we know Sister Lucio de Santas revealed the third, se- you know, had the third secret. and But these two died young. Um, and, uh, you know, what's an interesting little fact, I think Francisco, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, he couldn't hear the Virgin Mary. I mean, she appeared and spoke to all three seers Right but but he couldn't hear her am I correct in that?
4: That's correct and he, he also could not hear the angel when the angel came in 1916. So Francisco was seeing. He was visual, he saw the vision of hell. He saw when Mary held out her Immaculate Heart and it was covered with thorns and in need of reparation. He saw what God was, this light that he couldn't even possibly fathom. He saw the demons in the in in hell. So he was always one to take things into his heart and he was pondering things. So, you know, Lucia would ask him, what are you doing? He'd say, well, I'm thinking about God. He was constantly thinking, what is this that I'm visually seeing and what is God trying to tell me? So that's why Francisco becomes this great contemplative. He spent a lot of time thinking and trying to discern these visions that he was. He saw the third secret. He saw the vision of the third secret. He didn't hear the message about the, you know, the World War II and Russia would spread its errors and whole nations would be annihilated. He did not hear that, but he saw the vision, and so, you know, Francisco, he is just a, an example of someone who who saw and heard with his heart, and that's his charism. We always say he's the one to, you know, that represents the charism of adoration when we're talking about what you learn from Fatima adoration, how he took everything to the tabernacle. And he learned to think about God and bring everything to him and totally trust in him.
1: Yeah, he would spend um, hours, wouldn't he, uh, in front of the, the tabernacle. The Eucharist was not necessarily always exposed, but he would just sit there with the Lord, right?
4: Yeah, and if you've ever been to Fatima you go to the parish there, St. Anthony Parish, that was the parish of the, the village and the family, I, I don't know if it's the exact same tabernacle that's there, but... You see it up on the altar, and that's where he would sit, and he would kind of hide back by the baptismal. He didn't want to be seen, because he was supposed to be in school, but he just spent hours in church. He knew he wasn't going to live long. He had been told, you will be taken to heaven soon. So he didn't think there was any point in him going to school, and he couldn't grasp the subjects anyway. In fact, he was teased about that. I often wonder if he had a learning disorder. He never was able to get his first communion either, because he couldn't understand the catechism. But he had—he is such a powerful, trusting soul. Like it kind of reminds me of Saint Tarsissus, you know, the story during the Roman persecutions, and Saint Tarsissus who was carrying the, the, the body and blood—or the blood, the body of Jesus—to the Christians, and he was beaten and killed, and he was trying to protect the Blessed Sacrament. You know, young and innocent and open and believing and trusting and confident, full of confidence in, in God's answer to prayers.
1: Well, my guest today, Barb Ernster, if you want to join us, the number's 888 914 we are taking a look at St. Uh, Francisco and Jacinta Marto, uh, two powerhouse saints. Uh, and if you are seeking a miracle in your life, maybe turn to them today. Uh, Barb, I want to talk about a couple things. One, let's let's talk about what they saw with the fires of hell and and, and even the way they prayed. I mean, the rosary today for a lot of people seems like a long Wrote prayer. It's kind of hard to get through. I don't have 20 minutes. You know, some people poo-poo it for that reason. I know when the kids were first told by their mother, I guess, to go out and to to pray the rosary, they would just pray, like some abbreviated version of it, right? They just say, Hail Mary, Hail Mary, Hail Mary, or they do something along those lines. And Our Lady encouraged them to to pray it. Um, Speak a little bit, if you could, just about why Our Lady one of the rosary prayed so bad because I, I know the rosary brings peace, and I look at our own time right now, where we are really facing. Uh, I think one of the most troubled times since the Second World War, since, since you know these Fatima years. I kind of see a parallel between our time and theirs. You know, World War One was raging when when these visions took place. The Bolshevik Revolution took place in 1917, and uh, of course, Our Lady said, "Hey, you know, war is the, it's the fruit of sin, right? Isn't that what she said there to them?" And as a result yeah. of it. Punishment for sin. It's a punishment for sin. So the um the rosary really was the antidote to that. How did they come to love the rosary? Because I knew he would pray the rosary Francisco nonstop after a while. And and what did our lady say? Do you see the connection between their time and our own in terms of global events? Because they were on the precipice of the Second World War and the horrors of the 20th century. This the rise of atheism and the spread of its evils. I think we are at a crossroads today, too. This is me personally. I'm not speaking for anybody else but, but Drew Mariani. And I think that's why I think it's so critical to pray, to pray the rosary, to pray the chaplet, to go before the Lord in the Blessed Sacrament, because I think things can go really wrong, and, and the consequence of that could be as grave as what we saw in that 19th, 20th century, or maybe even worse. But I'd love your thoughts.
4: Well, yes, the beginning of the 20th century was the time, the start of, a time in mankind's history unlike any other time where we were going to be developing weapons that could destroy the world, annihilate whole nations, You know the the unprecedented evil that was unleashed on the world with these totalitarian systems that took over, the um, culture of death that really did start with the Bolshevik Revolution. And if you read, I know Paul Kengor is on your show a lot, if you read his book, The Devil and Karl Marx, it's clear where the ideologies come from with with Karl Marx and the start of this um, uh, this totalitarian system called communism, yep. atheistic communism. We're still living with the effects of all of that. We are still in very dangerous times because people do not respect life. They don't know what love is. There's an embrace of atheism and trying to build a system, a world without God, unlike any other we've seen, at least that I've ever known of. Maybe there were times in ancient biblical history when it got this bad. But yes, I do believe we are in a very dangerous time in our world. And Our Lady is calling us to the rosary because it is the tool that has been given to us at this time to pray for peace and that will bring about conversions. Um, Greater graces are being given because of the rosary. Lucia said it's been given a greater efficacy during these times. Our Lady's also trying to turn our hearts and minds back to her Son, to the life of Christ and the gospel message. Fatima is the gospel message, fully and completely, which is why the Church so embraced it. And the Rosary helps us to understand the gospel. We're meditating on the life of Christ. And so we're able to cast our concerns, our, our all of our needs and things at the foot of the cross by meditating and believe, trusting that God is intervening with us, I also like to remind people that Mary is always intervening in our world, and more and more today than than ever before. Her role is so great right now. She is the woman clothed with the sun. And there are early Fatima writers and philosophers who believe that Fatima is the fulfillment of chapter 11 and 12 of Revelation. That it is that, that's what Revelation was talking about, the woman clothed with the sun. Mm. And we are her children. The devil is after us. He's after us as her children. And so we're here fighting with her. We're being called into this spiritual battle to help her defeat the dragon. And I love the image of St. Louis de Montfort, who says these people who are under the radar, who are going to follow, they're going to be especially following the woman at this time, with her are going to provide the strength of her heel to crush the the head of Satan. We're going to be the strength of her heel to crush the head of Satan. What a great calling that we're being asked to do. It's beautiful. And the the San Francisco, they answered that call, and they became very holy very quickly.
1: Today, we remember these two great saints who died at the ages of 10 and 11. And um, if you want to join us, feel free to. I need to take a short break. But when we come back, we'll talk about some of the miracles of their intercession, miracles that led to them becoming the great saints that they are today. And... We'll talk much more uh, about not only their lives but where we are today. You know, one of the the prophecies was given in Fatima. And I'll get uh, Barb Ernst's take on this as well as this prophecy about the annihilation of nations. Um, we, we've had a lot of talk about Russia sending missiles to knock out our communications and our our satellites to blind the U.S., uh, Iran, and uh, North Korea. Everyone's racing towards more nuclear weapons. You've got China and Russia, and we are in a um, we're in a we're in a difficult time right now. So I think more than ever, we need to take a lesson from these children and we need to pray that rosary and we need to pray for world peace. We'll, we'll look at that other aspect of that Fatima prophecy as well. Feel free to join us if you got a question or comment. Let me put a big plug in for Father Rocky. Tonight, he prays a rosary at 7 p.m. Central Time, 8 Eastern. So if you want to pray with somebody, you've prayed the rosary in a long time, that might be a great thing to do. I'll be back. Stay with me.
0: Your daily dose of faith, hope, and charity. The Drew Mariani Show on Relevant Radio. Hey, looking for a new
1: job? How about one that offers opportunities for spiritual, social, and charitable growth? Our sponsor, Catholic Order of Foresters, is hiring new agents today. Visit RelevantRadio.com/Forester. An Illinois Life Insurance Society. Not available in all states. The Chaplet of Divine Mercy, coming up live. Yeah, we're talking about 10, maybe 12 minutes away. Feel free to join me if you'd like to. Today, we're going to call upon the Great Communion of Saints. We'll ask the powerful intercession of two young children. You know know children, right? Their prayers are so innocent, so pure. They reach the throne of God. And today we remember, in particular, the anniversary. Today's the feast of Jacinta and Francisco Marto, two of the three seers there in Fatima, Portugal, and um, those visions are world famous. It took place in 1917, and, you know, the sun had spun there and moved from its position, and, you know, we know the kids had visions of the fires of hell. There were secrets that came from this site of apparition, and it's uh, movies have been made about it. If you're not familiar with it, and I assume everybody knows, do a quick search for Fatima. A lot of films that are out there. There's a great site you might want to check out, too. It's called bluearmy.com. BlueArmy.com will get you plugged in. And uh, Francisco Marto, he died in 1919. He was only 10 years old. His sister, she died in 1920, a year later, at the age of nine. And the Vatican recognized two miracles that paved the way for their beatification and ultimately for their for their, their canonization. You need two miracles: a miracle to beatify and one to canonize to, to ultimately become a saint. So, uh, the miracle that led to the beatification involved the cure of a um, of a young girl who suffered from a a very severe form of chronic pneumonia and other health conditions. Um, 1987, her family and the parish, they gathered together, they prayed to the intercession of these two beautiful saints. And Amelia, uh, she experienced just a sudden, complete recovery. Uh, The the miracle was investigated, it was recognized by the, the Vatican, and it ultimately led to the beatification of Francisco and Jacinta, and of course, Pope John Paul II on May 13th, uh, 2000. I'm, I'm not quite sure of the canonization. The canonization took place in 2013. I'm joined today by Barbara Ernster. She is the um, National Coordinator for the uh, for the Blue Army, for the World Apostle to Fatima, and she's here to answer your questions as well. Barb, the, the miracle that led to the canonization, that occurred I think to a Brazilian boy in, in 2013. Are you familiar with that story?
4: Yes. He was five years old and he fell out of a window at 20, 20 feet down and he was in very serious condition and they started praying to Saints Francisco and Jacinta and kinda of reminds me of the the canon the miracle attributed to Saint Juan Diego when yes. this was a, a young man who jumped out the window and the mother cried out, Saint Saint Juan Diego save my son and he was spared death and he was a very serious addict. Now this was a five year old boy who fell out of a window and that's what led to the canonization. It happened on May thirteenth 2017 with Pope Francis. Yeah. That's when he canonized them.
1: And what are they the patron saints of? Influenza? I mean, I know they died from that. What, what Do we have a, a patronage for these, yeah. these kids?
4: Yeah. Well, interestingly, they're, pa- they're patron saints of people who are sick and dying. They're patron saints of people who are in prison. Patron saints of pandemics and influenza. Um, I like to pray to them, Especially in our modern world, we have so many people addicted to the drugs and alcohol yeah. and even vaping. So I, I like to pray to them for someone who's struggling with that because they're patron saints of people who are in prison. And how many people are in prison by these addictions? And yet these two were such stellar examples of being able to give up and sacrifice for the Lord. I love it, now, of yeah. course, they, they weren't taking drugs and no. they didn't understand <laughs> no. addiction to heroin, but they certainly gave up everything. And, and isn't that what addicts need? They need that strength behind them to be able to say no to these things. And so I always pray to them when I'm working with, you know, talking to somebody who's got an alcohol problem or a drug addiction problem to pray to them.
1: Yeah, no kidding. Power. That's, that's great. You know, I was reading an article by, uh, uh I think his name is Joseph, uh, 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 I forget where I saw this. Mm-hmm. I think the Catholic register placed along those lines. And he wrote, I, th- I think it was today, or maybe it was an old article I had seen uh, on uh, the intercession of Jacinta and and Francisco. And they talked about everything from, um, you know, people coming to them who were suffering from illnesses, receiving miraculous cures to prodigal children, where there was ruptures in the family, mm-hmm. you know, and, um through the intercession, through their prayers. And the kids would always tell the the person that came to them, pray the rosary, you know, put it in the hands of Our Lady. And I, I know she'll come through for you. And in, in the end, that's exactly what happened. Families were reunited. Changes of heart took place. Uh, physical miracles took place. You know, yeah, you absolutely had a just, yeah. just I don't know. I, I just, I love it. I absolutely love
4: Those it. Killed. There's so many stories of Francisco and Jacinta praying for um, people. Like you said, these ruptures in family were us son and the father got in a a fight and they left, and uh, another family where the the husband was going to be called out to the war, the wife was sick, they had young children, he would have been, you know, they would have never made it without him, and he gets sick really bad with the influenza, and he doesn't get drafted into the war, and he stays with his wife, and everything worked out fine. Those were all because of the prayers of these children, so they are definitely another reason to pray for them, is if you're having problems in your family with you know the prodigal sons and daughters that are out there everywhere. So to pray for these, the the forgiveness and reuniting of families.
1: Let's take a few calls. I know we have a few moments. If you want to join us, triple eight nine one four nine one four nine. Tom's in San Antonio, Texas. Tom, hi. You're on with uh, Barbara Ernst. Go right ahead.
3: Yeah. Thanks. I uh, have a question. I saw a presentation by Susan Tsoni with respect mm-hmm. to Fatima Kids. Was there not a uh, friend of Lucia's? I think who Mary told that she would spend um, till the end of time in purgatory. Did you know anything about that?
4: Yes, uh, this was during the first apparition. There was a, a girl in the village of Fatima whose name was Amelia. I think she was about 18 years old. Lucia asked about another friend, two people who had died, and the one she said would be in, it was already in heaven, and then she asked about Amelia, and she said she would be in purgatory until the end of time and there was some scandal related to this and of course lucia being so young being 10 years old she must have heard the the talk about what would have happened to amelia because obviously people would have been concerned about her soul apparently she died not being in a state of grace for something quite scandalous it was possibly where she had been um having an affair with a married man that's what i've heard but i can't verify that so it was a very serious grave sin and she died without the grace of final confession now lucia would later say that this is a reminder to pray for every you know pray for the souls in purgatory and that she might have deserved hell but because of god's mercy she was saved and that that's how she looked at it that's how she said later as an adult she was asked about that and she said she may have been deserving of hell but because of god's mercy she was saved and to always pray for the souls in purgatory
1: so, so hey, Tom, thank you very much. I mean, it's a question that has always haunted me, too, when you think about a 17-year-old being in purgatory at the time. And I know this soul, uh, Barbara, has received a lot of prayers. I've prayed for her. I know you probably have. I know a lot of people <laughs> have certainly prayed for her and for the for the souls in purgatory. Um, when, when it comes to hell and, and their vision of it, we had a conversation earlier in the week uh, on a document uh, called, um, oh, gosh, I'm zoning out the... Uh, Oh, it's by Saint uh, Maurice de. Oh, I can't remember the document right now. Of oh, these Salvation of the Few, or it, it dealt with hell. And, and a lot of people made the case that a lot of souls go to hell. I can't remember the name of the document on top of my head right now. Um, what, what was the takeaway from the kids when they saw the numbers that were there? And, and, and just some final thoughts from you here as well.
4: Yeah, well, the, the, having seen hell and the souls that were there, and Mary telling them, you know, you see this, the where people go, the souls of the poor sinners when they, you know, when they're not in the eternal grace of God. She reminded them in August that many souls go to hell because they have no one to pray for them and make sacrifice. How many people out there we see all over the streets, every, you know, in the news? There's no one to pray for them, and so to re- remind yourself that that's part of our sacrifice, that's part of our uniting with Christ on the cross, is to participate in praying and making penance for those who might not otherwise be saved because of that Mm -hmm. so i I know that lucia was asked one time i don't believe it i don't know if it was a bishop or Mm -hmm. a cardinal who asked her now lucia not many people go to hell right so no father many many people go to hell she she never said they're falling into hell like snowflakes but she did say many many people go to hell
1: well, check out the Blue Army if you want to learn more about this and the entire story. It's BlueArmy.com. BlueArmy.com. My thanks to Barb Ernster, National Coordinator for the World Apostle of Fatima. The chaplain is straight ahead.